Hello and good evening everybody, FPL Teacher here, bringing you Aston Villa for Brentford nil. The home side doubled the amount of goals scored at home, literally, in one game. As we see what works for Villa finally, as there were murmurs of how Gerard suppressed the attacking potential of some of these Aston Villa players, coaching staff as well as tactical setups, while looking at what Brentford need to retool yet again. <laughs> to see what they can do, what they can keep from this malaise moving forward. The final few game weeks of Steven Gerrard's tenure really came down to whether McGinn played on the right side of central midfield or whether did Jacob Ramsey swap sides with him. In this particular match, both central midfielders were dropped as Aston Villa settled for a structured 4-2-3-1 with relatively little freedom in central midfield but really opening it up for the front four of attacking talent finally being able to showcase their skills off the ball keyword here because Buendia, Leon Bailey, Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins had all the space they needed to thrive in the final third instead of being constructed constrained to the areas where the central midfielders would usually operate. So a caveat before I continue the analysis is that Unai Emery coming in imminently will definitely affect the side but really here we are looking at the attributes. Our focus here is on the attributes of the ball of what each player can bring to the table while they enjoy this new found freedom of quote-unquote new manager bounce. So if they retain these attributes under the new manager, then they are almost certainly worth investing in, perhaps for game week 16 itself. Okay, here we go. Aston Villa, let's look at these players one by one to see who really shone. And we're going to start from central midfielders as the back four played relatively conservative roles with Douglas Luiz. As the instigator of attacks, he constantly found the players in the final third as playmaker from deep. His role was extremely prominent in the second half compared to the first, and really it was just about whether he could find Buendia or Watkins first on the right side, and both will eventually create for Leon Bailey. Once again, in theory, Villa's 4-2-3-1 trumps Brentford's 3-5-2 on width, where they, in theory, have two players on the flanks by default. Ashley Young and Leon Bailey on the left side technically went up against Matt's Ruslov solo on the left side and it really just abused the system where both players would run up, Ashley Young taking up a conservative position while Leon Bailey constantly went behind Ruslov to receive passes, eventually joined by Buendia as well, recognizing the advantage and just putting in cross after cross to make sure that they took home the lead. The shots in the first, the second, the sixth, the seventh minute Ings goal all came from that left-hand side. And really, by the time Brentford blinked, Villa were 2-0 up through this set play. Speaking of set plays, Villa's set-piece coach is apparently quite well-renowned for having clever set plays which were scuppered by Gerrard while he was in charge and really the first goal scored by Bailey here was an extremely well-worked short corner something once again to keep a lookout for. 
especially for FPL purposes, not because we should target their set-piece taker, but more of the late runners based off those set-piece takers. So really, it's not about trying to focus on the central defenders, but for all the relatively short runners around those central defenders. You can see that when Villa played that short corner in the first minute itself, they drew Brentford's near post three defenders out of position before engineering the space in to find to get that cut back for Leon Bailey to score the opener. Brentford hoping to sustain a momentous period before the World Cup especially making the case for Ivan Tony here, retain the 3-5-2, trying to get the wingbacks to push as high as possible, as close as possible to Tony and Mbomo. In this particular match, Tony and Mbomo leaned left to work with Rico Henry in order to generate chances. But really, they spent so much time in defense, just trying to defend that none of the players really could wrestle the advantage back after losing the lead. Now, the key here comes down to the role of the three central defenders, once again, forced to cover spaces that were extremely awkward and beyond their brief. Against Chelsea, it was easy for them to remain narrow because the defenders could push wide. But in this particular case, because Villa's wide players were so high up and so deep, you would not imagine, well, Roslov could push all the way up to the fullback, but you would not expect Onyeka or the right centre-back, Pinnock slash um, Zanka, to push all the way up into central midfield just to press a Villa fullback down. It did not make any sense. So, Brentford were constantly outnumbered on the flanks with no real solution until a central midfielder desperately pushed all the way out wide just to help cover the space. Brentford in troubled times usually rely on Johan Wissa to step up. But first, we know that Thomas Frank will always substitute the central midfielders first, followed by any other replacements that work. So Onyeka left with Joshua De Silva coming in, and he eventually also replaced Mats Roslov at right wingback, bringing on the usual Sergio Canos that we've not seen since the start of last season, I believe. So <clears throat> it just goes to show that no man is indispensable for Thomas Frank and you it doesn't matter if you have the form from previous game this side still requires a lot of retooling and a lot of retweaking before having a definite plan A to move forward after the World Cup now a quick word on Ivan Tony because for FPL purposes we really only care about Ivan Tony <clears throat> The crucial thing here, as usual away from home, is that Brentford did not get the rub of the green in terms of decisions to generate free kicks, corners and what have you. So <clears throat> Tony's output unfortunately was reduced to shots from range such as his efforts in the 21st minute. Really that was about it because only in the second half when Wisa came on we saw, as usual, Wisa getting the space of Tony's presence in the box. Lastly, and crucially, Brentford play two matches away from home in game week 15 and game week 16, away to Man City in 16, which is a no-brainer, but in 15, they play Nottingham Forest. And Nico Williams now, on the left flank, is the perfect player to bring in for players, for FPL managers who enjoy toxic ex-relationships 
All the best. It's not every day you feel good watching Aston Villa score four goals and you being genuinely happy for them. A lot of their players looked finally free from their shackles and it just comes down to whether they enjoy that same amount of freedom moving forward. As for Brentford, we know that a side that tends to tinker also tends to overthink. So it really just comes down to who benefits in the midst of all this chaos and it's certainly noteworthy that Brentford rarely sustain two losses or two wins for that matter in a row. This is FPL Teacher speaking, attempting to have all the podcasts out and ready before the end of the Champions League fixtures on Thursday. Subscribe for prompt updates.